Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Bree, and thanks for joining us. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. We're in this series right now about waiting, that God does some of his best work while we're in the waiting. Uh, We've heard story after story about how God is working in this place, and today we get to hear from Mike a story about his life and his testimony on how God turned his pain into praise. So I was in a time of waiting. I was sitting in a boat, waiting on the shore, with 12 other boats sitting there, and I was waiting. I could hear the water lapping up against the boat. I could smell the gas from the engine. I could smell the oil. I could smell my helmet smell. I could smell all these things. I was waiting for the start of the race. Then boom, the race starts. I'm racing along, going into the second turn. I'm flying across in a boat, um, going across the water. That right there, I'm flying across the boat, um, across the water, 73 miles an hour, two inches off the water, two-cylinder motor behind me, going into the second turn, and boom, I crash. I'm pinned underwater. Growing up, I played a lot of sports, and I could do all sorts of things on uh, the basketball court, uh, the cross-country course, or on the soccer field. And if I was having a bad day, uh, I could go out, and I could uh, have fun playing, with, playing soccer with my teammates. I could make a shot on the basketball court. I loved it. It was fun. And when I won... I felt really good. I felt good about myself. I found my identity in that. I thought, yeah, all right, I'm just in an algebra class. I'm not doing too well, but I won the basketball game. I feel good about that. That's me. That's Mike growing up. That was my identity. I started boat racing when I was nine and uh, played soccer and basketball all growing up, boat racing from nine all the way to the age of 17. And when I was 17, I was racing in uh, just outside of Portland, and I crashed my boat. Uh, I got crashed my boat, was pinned under the water, and a piece of the motor was holding me under the water. It hit my head, scraped down my helmet, and then plunked itself in between my spine and my jugular, tearing through two nerves. Almost killed me. Almost bled out. So I was under the boat. I somehow pushed my way out from under the boat. I don't really know how. And my head bobbed up, and uh, the rescue sled went and got me, went to the hospital, Uh, come to find out. Yeah, I was pretty fortunate. It could have ended. I could have, could have been killed that day. It really changed my life. It's a pretty big pivot point in my life. Uh, before that, my identity was completely in sports. And after that, I couldn't, uh, for that time, in my senior year of high school, I couldn't play basketball. I couldn't play soccer. Uh, my body was in trauma. My, I couldn't move my left arm hardly at all. Uh, my whole body was just wrecked and uh, just destroyed from this trauma of wrecking in a boat from 73 miles an hour to zero in a split second. It doesn't work well for you. Um, I wrestled with that for a long time. My whole senior year and into, into college, I wrestled with why did this happen? What was going on? And through that time, that was another time of waiting for me and thinking through what's next in my life. If I'm not Mike who can play basketball and soccer, who am I? So I went through this time of of kind of suffering and waiting and wrestling with God and got to this point where I thought, you know, God didn't cause this, but God can use this and I can use this as a pivot point to turn on my life and to find out what God has really called me to do. 
So through with help of a lot of people and through uh, one, of my, uh, one of my heroes, I'll say, uh, Dennis, when I was, I just got hurt and I was home in Spokane and uh, laying in bed, I was uh, in the middle of the night, my, my legs and my body would just cramp and it would just hurt. And so Dennis, who went to our church, said, what can I do to help? He asked me and my parents what he could do to help. So he would come at four in the morning all through the summer, come to our house and massage my legs and, uh, and my body because my body was just in pain and I couldn't sleep and I just would lay awake not being able to sleep. Dennis was a, was a hero to me and he was an example of God moving in my life and it showed me, wow, what an act of service looked like. Later, his son would uh, take me into the Young Life group, and uh, with a group of guys, I slowly started to figure out uh, how to find praise in my pain through my boat racing accident, and find out who I was in God, and how to use my creativity. And then in college, I discovered that even more, and I had lots of people along the way that showed me how I could use my life um, despite my pain, and uh, despite my injury, to see what God had called me to do. Um, then later when I would go, uh, after college, I would do triathlons and I could show people that I could swim and do triathlons, but I still, I can only lift my arm this high today because of the nerve damage in there. And that gives me a great opportunity to share that story so I can continue to share that story. So moving from that, that was a really difficult time in my life. And I, I look at that and I think, man, has, have I been fully healed yet? No. Do I still hurt from that sometimes? And does it still cause me pain and think about, is this hard in my life? Yeah, it really, it really does. But that really helps me identify and have joy when I see others with maybe a physical injury, maybe an emotional injury, and it gives me empathy for them and their lives. So that's how I was able to find joy in the midst of my pain and through some trauma in my life. I appreciate your testimony so much, Mike, and how God took your, your pain and was able to use it to bring praise in your life. I have wondered a time or two, as I've heard your story, bits and pieces, how different your life might be if that boat accident hadn't happened, and how God has used you in a college campus. He's used you as an artist. You bumped into a girl named Carly and how so many things in your life God has transformed for his praise. God's able to do that, isn't he? He's able to work in our waiting, we've been learning. He's able to do some of his best work in those moments. He can take painful situations and make them into opportunities for his praise. Uh, that's what we get to learn as we look at our passage today. Uh, you know, Mike, I think you had the opportunity. You could have become pessimistic. You could have uh, become helpless or hopeless. Mike could have uh, been frozen in his pain in his situation and not move forward. And that's sometimes what we do, isn't it? And, and we forget that God wants to do incredible things in our lives beyond that which we know or understand. Uh, the teenage girl that we study today in Scripture has a, a story of God changing her pain into praise. Her name is Mary. She's somewhere between 12 and 14, 15 years of age. She's a, a virgin girl. She's uh, not experienced in the world. She lives in a no-name town. 
We need to understand about Mary that uh, she's been known as uh, one of those who are humble and poor. It's not only her, it's her grandparents were humble and poor and of low estate and esteem in society. Not only her grandparents, but her great-grandparents. Through the generations, she was faithful to God, but could have felt forgotten by God. It was true of her group of people that they were faithful to God, but Israel hadn't heard from God for 400 years. Their waiting seemed that it would never end, and isn't that how waiting always is for us? And that's what Mary feels in her life, and and so as we approach the story of the text of Scripture, it's found in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me. Let's stand together. If you don't have your Bible with you, the screen is available. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and says, Greeting, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore a child, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. It's easy for us to place candles and lights and pretty all over the text and to lose the context and the understanding of what Mary was going through in this moment. The angel came from God to this town called Nazareth. Even today, if you were to go to Nazareth, you'd go, oh yeah, this is a town where Jesus had his carpenter shop, and it must be really cool, and it must be world-renowned. And you you go up the hill, and and you see the cliff where they wanted to throw Jesus over the edge, and then you get into town, and it's uh, not much, not very impressive. The most impressive thing is a big church there where they've covered up the home of Mary and so on, and you just go, yeah, not too much there. It might be like going to Melba. Sorry if anybody's from Melba. But it just wasn't very exciting. I mean, Jesus came from humble origins, and she's very troubled. You see, Mary has um, 
this understanding that probably God has forgotten her. She's probably not very important in the eyes of our Heavenly Father. After all, she's poor, and she has uh, been a part of the oppressed generations of one despot after another who are hungry for power and filled with a blood lust and and it seems that there's just no way to get out of this cycle of injustice and pain that just has a different face of a different leader, but it goes on generation after generation after generation. And so the scripture says that Mary was troubled, but we need to unpack that. That, that word troubled, it, it means to be wholly consumed by trouble. It, it means to be disturbed and agitated and alarmed. In fact, it is so alarming that God has sent a messenger that her immediate reaction is, I must be in trouble. That's, that's how she feels about it. And she's tempted to fear in the situation that she's in. Praise is far from her mind at this point. And we know that she's tempted to fear because the angel says to her, be not afraid. You don't have to tell somebody, be not afraid, unless they're tempted to fear. That's where she's at with her situation. And all kinds of things are racing through Mary's mind. Uh, you're going to have a baby, and you've never known a man. And she's going, excuse me? Mary's just, I, I can't, I don't understand, Lord. I don't get it. What are you doing in my life? It doesn't make any sense. Is it possible that God can be doing great things in our lives and we don't understand how? That's where Mary's at. And then she's probably thinking to herself, uh, if I say yes to God, because I believe Mary had every opportunity to say yes or no. She has free will. She can, she can say no to God and his proposition about what he wants to do in her life. Oh, how different her life would have been if she'd said no to God. Um, I think she's worried about Joseph. How in the world am I going to have this conversation even though God in the middle? Joseph, I've got something to tell you. You're not going to believe this. You're absolutely right. Joseph doesn't believe what Mary has to say. In, in fact, um, he plans to divorce her. Merry Christmas, Mary. Sometimes go so easily. Serve God and do his work and observe his will. It doesn't go so easily for us. And, and that's the situation that she finds herself in. And, and Mary has to look into the eyes of a man who believes that she's been unfaithful. And Joseph, of course, he's made all kinds of judgments and drawn conclusions and decided who Mary is and gathered all the facts and the information. And oh boy, does he have some explaining to do later. How would you like to have been Joseph, guys? Uh, Mary, sorry, got it all wrong. I do have to believe that when it was all said and done and God had spoken to Joseph as he had spoken to Mary, that what the enemy wanted to do to destroy the relationship built incredible trust and they would never be the same again. Uh, it, it, Mary's troubled because also it's a capital offense. She can be executed for having an affair. We don't get that much, but if you go to the Middle East, you can actually find situations where that's going on. It's a very real part of our world today. 
and Mary's troubled. Uh, not only that, nobody's going to believe it. Her uh, parents aren't mentioned anywhere in the text. Joseph's parents aren't mentioned anywhere in the text. Grandparents, don't you just ooh and awe over your grandchildren? There's no ooh and awe in the text. Mary's relatively alone in the situation and feeling pretty bad about how things might work out. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. Uh, maybe you've been in a difficult relationship or misunderstood or there's not much jingle and jangle in your pocket and you could be thinking, God, you've forgotten me. After all, if you loved me, it wouldn't have worked out like this. What's your pain meter right now? It's on your worship folder. You know when you go to the doctor and they say, what's your pain right now? And you go, 25! <clears throat> I, I, just, I, I was with Colton when he went to the doctor and he had a kidney stone and they're asking his pain meter and he's like just groaning in pain in fetal position. I go, yeah, 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 he's probably in pain. And, and maybe you're not in pain right now. Maybe it's a zero and the world is rosy. Don't worry, you'll get there tomorrow. Uh, but I have good news for us today, that God knows how to turn our pain into his praise. What if? What if God could take the difficult situation, the rough relationship, the financial difficulty, just what if he could take that and he could use that situation to magnify his name? That's what the scripture says in uh, later verses, it says in verse 47, my soul magnifies you. It makes God bigger. It lifts you up. It's, uh, God, I'm going to uh, rejoice in you because of the incredible things that you're doing in my life. So there's a, there's a hinge point in Mary's story uh, that is back just a few verses before this. It, it's found in verse 37 and following for nothing will be impossible with God. That's kind of an interesting statement. Nothing. There is nothing in your life or my life that is impossible with God. Try this on for size. Virgin birth. I'm just saying, God can do anything God wants to do because he's amazing and powerful and wonderful and there is nothing that my God cannot do. Amen? And when God's spirit is in my life, the possibilities become endless by the power of God in my relationships and in all areas of my life. Mary comes to a hinge point. She doesn't understand all that's going on. She doesn't know how it's going to work out. I don't think Mary ever fully understand or grasp the fact that she was the mother of God. But in the scripture, verse 38, Mary says back, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left. Mary submits her life fully to God. Are you aware of any area in your life right now that might need to be submitted to God? Is it scary? Good, because it should be. Because it's not easy, and it can lead to all kinds of misunderstanding, and it can be troubling, and it can be difficult, it can be painful. Anybody sold? But before we say no, 
Mary submits her life to God, and it changes everything for her. It changes her perspective. She's never, ever going to see the world the same again once she says yes. And I'm convinced that that's not just for Mary because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we submit our lives to God, our perspective begins to shift and to change and to be different, and it increases our faith. Mary says yes to God. The Holy Spirit invades her life in a way she never could have dreamed possible, and she begins to see God work, and he does that one time, and then another time, and then another time. And when we say yes to God, it increases our faith, and it encourages other people around us. Anybody know somebody that's just an encourager? Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah? Anybody? Who knows Jerry McConnell in the house? Anybody? Jerry's a, uh, he's got the gift of encouragement. He's just not a person that encourages. He has the gift. And every Monday, he sends me a note, and he lies to me, whether the sermon was good or not. He says, oh, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> and he just lifts me up, and he blesses me. And because Jerry has pastored a large congregation over decades, uh, I just know that he gets it, and he understands, and so it fills my cup. I was talking to one of our staff members and saying, I, I need you to pray for this other staff member. They're going through a hard time, and it, I just see sadness on their faith. And the this, this staff member said back to me, oh, don't worry, Jerry already got to them. <laughs> he already got to them, and he started telling jokes, and he got them laughing, and they did belly laughs because of him. Jerry's a man with belly laugh encouragement gifting, and it just lifts him up. You know, in, in my years, I've been at this ministry thing for decades now, not just days or years, but decades and in all of my time following Jesus, there's one thing I've never heard. I've never had anybody come into my office and say, you know that day I went to the altar, that day I dedicated myself to Jesus fully, that day that I asked Jesus into my heart to be my friend and my savior and take away my bad choice, I've never heard anybody that say, oh man, I really regret that. I've had... So many people in my ministry say, you know that day you did the altar call, I wish I would have come. You know that day that you said the prayer room was open, I wish I would have gone. That day that you made an invitation to submit my life to God in some area, I wish I would have done it. But I've never ever met a person who said, I regret what I gave to God. So it'll change our perspective. It'll increase our faith. It'll encourage people around us. The, the scripture says that Gabriel told Mary, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, the one who's about 100 years old, she's gonna have a baby. She's in your situation. That means if we're going to become a people of praise, we're gonna have to submit our lives to God in areas that we need to trust him that we don't understand and then we're going to need to partner up and, and find fellowship with people who are like-minded, who understand what it is to be a people of praise. The, the, the corner has been turned. Mary has begun to be a person who turns her pain into praise by the power of God. It starts in verse 46. So I want to unpack that with you a bit. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, that as I enter into this journey 
where the enemy meant my pain, my difficult situation, he meant to that to destroy me or hurt me or take me out. Uh, she says, actually, my soul magnifies the Lord, that it makes God bigger. What I'm going through and people seeing how my life responds to God, it, it makes God seem extra large in the world around me. Did you catch that? Isn't that awesome? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I'm just so thankful for him. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He's looked on my life. Mary was believing the lie that God had forgotten her, that God didn't notice her, that she wasn't important. Here's the truth. God looked over the world And it would be like he chose a little girl from the orphanage in Kenya to bear his son. God notices people that the world has forgotten. God notices each one of us. He loves every one of us. He looks upon our heart. He cares about us. God knows what you're going through today. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Could, could we just camp in that for a moment, that you may have gone through something in your past or you're going through it now, and, and Mary looks at the perspective and she said, in my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to the very shores of eternity, God is going to use this event in my life. She takes the long view and says, God, you're able to take what is happening in my life and you are able to use it in ways that I can't even see yet. After I am long God, gone, they'll still be talking about it. And God is looking at your situation and he's saying, I want you to know that long after you're out of the picture, you can praise God that he will still be working to the shores of eternity to bring praise to his name. Mike, I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that while that boating accident was not something that God orchestrated in your life, that he will use it and that there will be students' lives who are radically different who are immeasurably changed by your testimony and your power and your ability to praise when you could only lift your arm this high because that's the kind of God we serve. And it says he looked on the humble state of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary begins to catalog the things that God has and is doing in in her life. And guess what? Nothing has changed on the outside. Jesus hasn't even been born yet, and yet she is filled with praise. She's starting to look from the perspective of her inside life and what God is doing and saying, God, you're doing amazing things. What if we began to catalog and to record and to think about what God is doing in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships, and people? How many things might we list as we get up in the morning and this week, take out this text and just read it each week, each day of the week and begin to think and write down, God, wow, you are working in amazing ways in my life because you are a mighty God. Uh, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm. God is never late, uh, but it seldom feels to us like he's on time, amen? How many people have been in a fix 
in a tight spot, in a trouble, and you're just going, God, would you show up? And for the people of Israel, it had been 400 years. I think God's up there going, ah, that's just a blink of an eye. And all of a sudden, Mary says, at just the right time, in the darkest moment, in the most troubling situation, God, you've shown the strength of your arm. That's a picture, it's a metaphor for the people of Israel that God is powerful and he will show up for us when we need him. He will work in our lives when we, thought that there was, we think that there's no hope. He will do that which is necessary at the right time. He has scattered the proud in, in verses 51 through 53. He talks, Mary talks about this upside down cultural shift that is happening. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty and he has helped his servant Israel. Don't we have a tendency in our world to, to march past the poor in favor of the rich? Don't we have a tendency to look to those who are well off and well fed and think somehow God must be favoring them? I don't know if we realize this, but anyone who makes more than $37,000 a year is in the top 98th percentile in income. Even the poorest of our society would be rich to the world. You, you, you lose this perspective that Mary says you fill the hungry with food. You, 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 you look at those who have no position. You care for those who, who lack provision. Lord, help us in this season and throughout our lives to be a people who don't race toward the, the rich and the wealthy and the positioned and give them favor. Lord, help us to be a people of humble heart and deep spirit that see the world through your eyes and hear with your ears and love with your heart and show no favoritism to anyone but love all with the heart of Jesus Christ. Mary wasn't poor because she was a sinner. Mary wasn't poor because she had done something wrong or she wasn't a good investor. Mary was poor because she was a woman of God who was caught in circumstances completely beyond her control. I don't hear any amens going. Thank you. Mary is able to say all these things, God, you have done some 10 times. You have done, you have done, you have done. Did you notice? Jesus hasn't even been born yet. But she says, God, you have done, you have done, you have done, you have done, you have given, you have. It's the tension. Mary is not unaware that it hasn't all happened yet. She lives in the tension of, of now and not yet. She lives in the understanding. She's not pretending that, that the, the sick have yet been made well. She's not pretending that healing has happened when it hasn't happened. She's not pretending that there is no grief among the, her pain. Mary, at the birth of Jesus, hears from Simeon, a sword will pierce your spirit also. When, when it was tough for Mary, at age two, they've just gotten settled finally 
no parents around, but they're, they're in Bethlehem, and, and the angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, time to get out of here. And by the way, don't take anything except for what you can carry. Our, your son's life is in danger. The king wants to kill him. At age 12, Mary can't find him anywhere for three days. Mom, anybody crazy yet? At age 30, she thinks that he's insane. He's walking around telling people that he's God. And he's fighting with the authorities who he's supposed to be partnered up with. I mean, nothing looks right. And she wants to have him committed. Moms, any of you wanted to have your kids committed, you've got perfect license. At age 33, she stands by the cross and she thinks she's going mad because the things she heard are filtered through a different lens now. And when Simeon said it when Jesus was a baby, it sounds a lot different than right now. And when her son was in the tomb, she thought that God had gone mad. Mary was able to stand by the cross because she had committed by the cradle. She had submitted her life to Jesus Christ, the things she didn't understand, and it was only with time and perspective that she was able to praise God with an incredible heart of praise. What if God wanted to take your situation and my situation and he wanted to use them for his glory? What if he wanted to do wonderful things through the story of what has happened in each of our lives. Would you submit those to God? If we're going to do that, it, it would mean today that, that we would look at several things. Number one, we would focus on what God is doing, not what he hasn't done. Uh, secondly, we would uh, begin to speak about, to sing about, to praise, to share what God has done. That's what Mary does. She, they call it Mary's song, but it's our song. There's this, <coughs> there's this wonderful moment at the end of the text where um, <coughs> it says, he has helped his servant Israel, verse 54, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. There's this moment where Mary is referring to where God takes Mo Abraham and says, come on out of your tent, I want to show you something. And, and he says, look up at the sky. I imagine it was a clarion night, crystal clear. And Abraham looks up at the stars, and they're more than he can count. I, I Googled. I, is Google like a really good scientific source? <laughs> and, it, and I asked Google, how many stars are there in the Milky Way galaxy? And it said around 250 billion, give or take a bunch. And then I I Googled how many galaxies in the universe, and it said 100 billion. And I imagine God looking at Abraham and saying, Abe, look at the night sky. You're 100 years old, and I've called you to leave your family and leave the things that you know and come to a new place and go on an adventure. I know you're 100 years old, and I know you don't understand this, but I just want you to know something. Look up at the skies. And you who are childless, I, I want you to look up the skies, Abraham, and realize that as you look up those stars, your descendants will be no, more numerous than everything you can see in the heaven. 
Friend, what might God want to do with our lives when we submit our situation fully to Him? When we begin to praise, when we begin to focus, when we begin to speak about what God has done, when we align ourselves with Jerry McConnell type praise encouragement people in our lives, and we begin to talk about what God is doing and what he is going to do, and if it hasn't happened, to begin to speak about it as though it already has. And we get to watch and learn how God's name will be magnified by our situation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today. Thankful that you are working in our waiting. Thankful, God, that you know how to turn our pain into praise, so that praise meter looks completely different when we're done. And Father, for the one today who is suffering in some way, would you give them strength for the moment? Would you let them know clearly that you see them, you notice them, that you love them, you care for them, that they are not forgotten? And at the right time, in the right way, at the right place, you'll show up. And Lord, that as we submit ourselves to you, you will use us in a powerful way. And for that, we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said,